Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. He was the perfect catch in my environment. You know, he voted right. He was in the right religion. But there was a lot of psychological abuse, a lot of gaslighting. I was objectively terrified that I wouldn't be able to take care of myself. When you're married or in a relationship with a narcissist, you're never enough and they make sure you know it. Mm. And your existence is to make them look better. I'm the great arm charm, the great host, the like kind of weird 1950s housewife. But it's just, oh, that lady that's married to him. We didn't, we never fought, Aaron. <sighs> that's creepy too. Yeah. No fighting. There was nothing wrong. You couldn't like put your finger on it and say, oh, we fight all the time. Or even that he hits me. There were times, and this is horrible, where I actually wish he would hit me once. Then you had a reason. I would be out. Yeah. And people would take me seriously when they're like, oh, he's so successful and so everything. And like, what is wrong with you? I really felt like he was cheating, but I could get absolutely no proof. There was a Valentine's Day where I met him in Atlanta and I knew. Welcome to Squats and Margaritas. I'm Erin Washington, a mom of two trying to balance all the things. I'm a mompreneur, a former college athlete, and a woman that struggled for 20 years with body image, multiple eating disorders, and having no self-worth. I talk to strong, vulnerable, and authentic women and share conversations for other women to feel seen and less alone. If you are looking for tips on how to level up, balance all the things, or just listen and learn from strong, powerful women, you found the right place. This is Squats and Margaritas. Hey, senorita, really nice to meet ya. Have some tequila and say, this week on Squats and Margaritas, it's award-winning author, actress, and speaker, Anne Scotland. As a global impact strategist, her passion is powerfully supporting leaders and change makers to make the world a better place. She's a human rights advocate, emotional wellness specialist, and founder of the Meta Mindset Program. Uh, she and I met at an event in D.C. Um, a couple months ago and instantly gravitated towards each other. Um, I knew she was an actress in L.A., and she was just not what you would expect from what you're probably picturing right now. She has an incredible story of reinvention and I want her help with my nonprofit. If anybody has an idea of starting a foundation, but you're not really sure where to go from there, her global impact league helps people with passion, but no strategy. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. And please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Here is my episode with Anne Scotland. We met in DC and I feel like I instantly like gravitated towards you. <laughs> and we kind of like hung out through the week and we changed the set. We, you changed the set and <laughs> like kind of upped our, uh, production value, our production value as a, you know, Hollywood actress, you saw what was missing and you, you brought us to another level. But I think when people think like you're interviewing a Hollywood actress, it's not at all what I thought, like you're gorgeous and you're like an energy in the room, but hearing your story, like I didn't mm. think you were going to say that. And I like to talk to women that have overcome kind of reinvented mm. themselves and have them share their story for the woman that's still in it. So I had yeah. to have you here <laughs> when Yay, I met you in DC. <laughs> and so glad that you're here. Um, I think that we start with childhood. And I, like mm -hmm. I was saying, um, I've listened to you on a lot of podcasts and nobody really went there. Um, but mm -hmm. I think it's important to share, you know, kind of how you came up and how mm -hmm. it shaped you and kind of the shift to what you're doing now. So we'll start with yes. your childhood. Um, yours was a little different. Yeah. So, you know, normally when I run into people, you know, they were like, yeah, but I'm sure you were a cheerleader in school. I'm like, ah, I wish <laughs> I wasn't allowed to be. <laughs> no. So, yeah. So I grew up in this um, very extreme right wing religious environment, basically 
very much a cult-like background. It's not one of the traditional religions you would have heard of, but it was basically a Christian offshoot religion and had a prophet and um, fairly small. And we were kind of off the charts even of that. So um, I grew up um, way out in the middle of nowhere, literally uh, in the wilds of Eastern Washington state, which is literally nowhere. There's like two things, there's endless wheat fields. And then there's kind of these wild canyons that go down to the river that have woods. And I lived in one of those wild canyons. So that's it's like intentional that that's where like they like intentional communities. So there was no one around. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we moved from Western, like the Seattle area when I was little. And, um, and when we moved out into this country, like on 160 acres, my parents weren't farmers. My dad was an aerospace engineer. My mom was a teacher. This was, these were very educated people. She had a master's degree that just made this very interesting life choice to, um, you know, people get called to go to an extreme place. And, you know, most people play with it for a year or two and then they kind of like, okay, <laughs> no, not <Yeah>. them. <laughs> So like, we didn't even have a phone the first year. That's how extreme it was. Wow. Um, we were living in a mobile home on a hill cause we were gonna build, but then we never did cause we never had the money. Like it's just one of those, you know, it's like just this craziness. So we were growing our own food, um, our own orchards. We had all our own water on the property. We had a creek and a well and two springs. And at eight years old, I'm learning how to put together PVC pipelines so that we can gravity feed the creek water from high up in the canyon to irrigate all of our gardens and orchards that we were growing. <laughs> mm. So needless to say, I was in homeschool um, and I only had two little two little brothers. So we're not talking about like homeschool now where there's a co-op and you go three days a week and you hang out. No, yeah. <laughs> this was like no other children um, and and very isolated. I was basically in that environment until I was almost 16. So that was a very unusual way to start. Yeah. And you're conditioned to kind of only know, like you don't really have anything to compare it to because you said you were eight, like, yeah, what was your life like know. before you went there? Still homeschool, but a little more traditional, like semi-rural subdivision kind of life. Okay. You know, my dad was working for Boeing in Seattle and, you know, it was, uh, but they were already conservative. I don't remember not being in their religion. They joined when they were about, I was about two. So I don't particularly, I don't have any memory of it being different, but as time went on, some people are kind of all or nothing. And so they both came from semi-traditional America and decided that they wanted something different. And that was their something different. You know, they're probably in the sixties, they probably would have been hippies or who knows, but this is what's so funny. They were vegan. They became vegan. They weren't hippies. Like my dad's still like, I don't want cherries with bugs in them. You better spray my fruit. And <laughs> just like, like, this organic stuff. I'm like, there's no congruency politically, religiously. There's nothing environmentally. There's nothing that makes sense. Like nothing adds up. It's just a one-off thing. Well, except that is, your parents are doing it and they're your parents. So you feel like this is what you do. Well, and that's the thing. And you did. And um, so, you know, I had, a, there were a few kids I knew back in Seattle because there was, you know, a church. Once we moved, it was literally, you know, like a church of mostly like 20 old people and occasionally a few kids. Like that was how it was. It was, it was little house on the prairie. I kid you not, Erin. I, I, <laughs> I, no, I, I think there were more this... people at little house on the prairie town than there were where I lived. Um, yeah. But yeah, you don't know any different and you know, no, no TV, no radio, no fiction, um, no outside influences, you know, for the most part, like wearing long skirts and dresses. Um, you pretty much, you're just reading religious books that's it. Maybe history it has to be factual. So this is a really weird environment for someone who's a creative, obviously yes. later become an actress, right. um, to kind of grow up because it's not like art is discouraged, but it's not encouraged because it's not supposed to be the focus. Your focus is spread your religious message <laughs> and be a good daughter and ultimately wife. And like, this is how you're being trained and you're not being trained to be independent. You're not being trained to be self-employed. You're not, it was a weird mix up because we really got mixed messages as women. Our parents were educated, but they made this intentional choice so they really believed in higher education. That was kind of a definite, Yeah. but the lifestyle we, they illustrated was very patriarchal, top down. Mostly the woman served the home. If she worked, it could be like part-time or only if it was sort of like a giving mission kind of, you know, almost like a donation of her time. Mm -hmm. um, and my girlfriend and I were both like, we had no idea that we were smart enough to say, 
be a doctor or a lawyer. Like that wasn't even in the vocabulary. You could be a missionary wife, you could be a pastor's wife, or you could like be a teacher. And if you're really lucky and really smart, you might be able to be a nurse. And that was kind of it. Those were like the four roles that you were ever really told was kind of available. So it was very disorienting because in one sense, you know, higher education, but in the other sense, no, you need to stay traditional. So, um, but I really got into my imagination as a kid, which I don't regret. And I fell in love with nature like crazy. Yeah. And you said you uh, you talk about being groomed to be a wife. Let's talk about your first marriage. Uh, He was in the Mm -hmm. same faith. Mm -hmm. And how Mm -hmm. old were you? Um, I was 21. So, um, you know, it's weird because I grew up in the West Coast, but I was really conservative where people tend to get married very young. And then also went to, um, it was technically a liberal arts college, but more like a Bible college in the South in Tennessee. Uh-huh. It was like totally out of my, but as far away as my parents would let me go. And I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care how far right. I have to go. Just if you'll send me out, how conservative it is, just let me go. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I didn't even graduate from high school till I was 19 because they had this homeschool philosophy that kids shouldn't start school too early. And I was always very bitter about that. I'm like, first of all, I'm shorter than my age. Second of all, I'm <laughs> older than my grade. This is yeah, yeah, this is what you think I'm going to say. Um, so, um, so you so got yeah, married. <laughs> I got married in college, and um, yeah, my senior year in college, halfway through, and he was kind of like he was the perfect catch in my environment. You know, he voted right. He was in the right religion. He was the right color. I'm going to say that because that's a thing, and that changes yes. over the course of my story. Um, I, you know, he was very hard worker. But you know what's really interesting about relationships? There's always two sides to every coin. So the one who, he didn't have money, but I could just tell he was so ambitious and so dedicated and such a hard worker. I'm like, this guy's definitely going places and he's a good person. And, um, but you know, when you're a hard worker, that also means the flip side of that means workaholic, means you're never home, means you get lots of distractions, means it's just like, there's always a flip side to everything or like he was really fit, but you know, he was an all or nothing kind of person. So gymaholic, right? Mm. So every morning, 430 in the morning, he's getting up to go off to the gym for a couple hours. And um, so these are like obsessions that no one ever thinks are bad. Typically, like, oh, you're you guys are so fit. Oh, he's so he stays in such good shape. And oh, he has such a great job. And he owns his own company. And like, this is amazing. And all you get is positive feedback. And yet inside, um, I was very fortunate, there was not physical abuse. And I know there is for a lot of women. And I was very fortunate I got out before that. Um, but there was a lot of psychological abuse, a lot of gaslighting. And then ultimately, I was just so gullible and so completely uninformed. But I mean, we're from my parents' house into basically a Bible college dorm into my husband's house. I'd never owned my own apartment. I'd never had my own full-time job. I never had my own car. I was like, as far as I was concerned, I didn't know how to function independently. So... So that made it very hard to leave a relationship that wasn't working because I was abjectly terrified. Again, this sounds crazy in like the 21st century, right? Or whatever. I was abjectly terrified that I wouldn't be able to take care of myself. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Now back to squats and margaritas. I had two degrees, but they were the kind where you really need a graduate degree to take it to the next level and teach at university, which is what I wanted to do. He wouldn't let me go to grad school because he didn't, I would have had to um, be out of town two nights a week to go to the grad school I wanted to. And he's like, oh no, no, we're married. We're sleeping in the same bed every night. Wow. So and, even um, when it was bad, like you mentioned abuse, um, I think when people think domestic abuse, you automatically mm-hmm. go to physical. Can you talk about some things that can be abuse mm-hmm. as well? You mentioned gaslighting for someone that's in a relationship and is like, wait a minute, that happens to me every day and feels like yeah. this is normal <laughs> that it's yeah. Abuse. Yeah. Well, there's a couple things and, you know, and some of them, some things are borderline. So I'll start with the more borderline one, which is when you're married to an egomaniac or you're in a relationship with an egomaniac. Is that a narcissist real quick? Is it the same? Absolute narcissist. Yes. So when you're married or in a relationship with a narcissist, you're never enough and they make sure you know it. Mm. And your existence is to make them look better. So I'm the great arm charm, the great host, the like kind of weird 1950s housewife, but it's just, oh, that lady that's married to him, that girl that's married to him. It's not like, oh, Anne and so-and-so. It's like, no. So um, you don't really get, you know, and I couldn't go back to the, the controlling environment. Like in the 21st century, there's no reason why a couple couldn't be apart two nights a week. Like it just makes no sense, yeah. right? And go to college and get a degree. And But the level of trust and controlling, and I also... And a lot of people will probably relate to this. Like often the most jealous partners are the biggest cheaters. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would have been shocked and surprised because he was religious. He was like a deacon in our church. And if, you know, if he cheated, I would have been surprised and mortified. And, you know, but there would have been some clarity, like at least maybe I could make some decisions at that point. Because bear in mind, I'm so religious here that divorce is not even on the table because mm-hmm. I believe it, not because of anybody else yeah. in America. I can't, like, you can't keep me trapped there. Like I can leave if I want to leave, right? Um, so as things deteriorated over the years, basically in the end, it was just so bad and the, and, and the gaslighting, which is, I'd be like, well, you know, can we, can we talk about the relationship? Can we fix it? I don't even, we didn't, we never fought Aaron. <sighs> That's creepy too. Yeah. No fighting. I was taught to be in a home where confrontation wasn't allowed. You weren't allowed to have a voice. You weren't allowed to yell, to scream. You just internalize everything. So by my early twenties, I have bleeding stomach ulcers, and I I'm bet. just if you keep so much, in, you never <laughs> just imploding, imploding, imploding. Um, and so you're like, can we talk about it? Like I'm dealing with these issues. I'm not well. Um, you're gone a lot. You know, I don't care that you're gone, but you're never happy when you're here. And like, what's wrong? Cause there was nothing wrong. You couldn't like put your finger on it and say, oh, we fight all the time. Or even that he hits me. There were times, and this is horrible, where I actually wish he would hit me once. So that I, cause that was where in my mind as a child, I had learned the line was, that was taught. You should be physically safe. And I'm like, my God, if he would just haul off once. Then you had a reason. I would be out. Yeah. Like I could, and people would take me seriously when they're like, oh, he's so successful and so everything. And like, what is wrong with you? Are you just like a spoiled brat? What's your problem? And I'm like, no, I mean, something's wrong. And I would say like, well, do you want a divorce? He's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, well, are you cheating? No. How can you even say that? Or, and then he'd say something, you know, like we'd be standing in, in the living room and tell me something um, about, and, and then I would come back to him a few days later and say, you know how you said that thing in the living room on Sunday when you were sitting there drinking your lemonade and you said, um, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, I never said that. That's bullshit. I would never say that. So he makes you like, you're crazy. Like you're crazy. making stuff up now. So, and that gaslighting got worse and worse where I literally thought I was losing my mind because things were so wrong, but I was vulnerable and gullible enough to not be able to put my finger on it. Finally, I'll tell you what happened. I finally, I really felt like he was cheating, but I could get absolutely no proof. So I, um, and then he started coming home less and less. Like I knew he was working in a tri-state area, but like literally when you start coming home like two or three nights a month, it's like, come on. Mm. Um, there was a Valentine's day where I met him in, and I was still living in Tennessee at the time, I met him in Atlanta and I knew that was the day that I had my first panic attack driving in a rainstorm. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> how did you know? I knew, but I couldn't prove it. Um, he said, come on. He's like, I don't have time to go back up to Tennessee, you know, for, um, for Valentine's day. And I'm like, well, what are we going to do? He's like, well, why don't you just come down here the night before and we'll go to dinner. And it's like a Saturday night or whatever. And we went to dinner and we stayed in a hotel. Cause he also was very hard to figure out where he stayed. And there was all kinds of excuses around that. 
And then um, the next day, I'm like, okay, so what, what shall we do today? And he's like, I got to do paperwork. Again, for most of you, this is not rocket science. For me, but when he made me leave Valentine's Day morning yeah. and go home, I'm like, I don't know. My body told me, yeah. even if I was living in denial, like I had never had a panic attack and I was driving and, you know, you live there and Atlanta thunderstorm on the interstate going back to Tennessee, couldn't hardly see. And I started like, couldn't breathe and like ice in all my veins. And just like, my body was like, take me seriously. Yes. You're not listening. Ultimately, I, um, it was just so hard. I cannot say it. Any kind of breakup or divorce is horrible, but when your entire programming doesn't give you permission to do it, it's just torture on top of what it already is. Yeah. Finally, I, he controlled the money exclusively down to the cent. And so I had to ask my girlfriend, my girlfriend's brother loaned me a few thousand dollars to hire a PI, a private detective to mm. just, I said, I, somebody need, I can't find it. I don't know. Help me. Well, my ex was really good. It took this detective a month to really catch him, mm -hmm. but he was living multiple lives. He had other houses, other women, other cars and other states that I had no idea about. And the second I found that out, I, um, I think it happened in the same week. He would come home. He came home like once that month. And I couldn't find his car keys. I'm like, tonight I'm going to go through his car. Like, I'm not that kind of person, but I'm like, I was desperate. Yeah. And I finally found them after he went to sleep. Fortunately, he was a deep sleeper. I found them in his shaving kit. I'm like, yeah, someone's mm. hiding their keys. Yeah. Get in the back of his <laughs> Escalade. And there's a box of papers with all kinds of stuff that was clearly being kept there on purpose. Like, you know, other places he lived, other bills, other addresses, other names. So I spent the whole night um, in the office, which was downstairs, and I photocopied everything in the filing cabinets, mm. front and back, and put them all back in perfect order because I'm very particular. This is like, like a movie. <laughs> I was like, this is my one chance. Yeah. Like, this is my one chance to get this before he actually knows. And, and as I did, I just got sicker and sicker because why I didn't do that sooner, I don't know. But again, he didn't let me handle the bills or anything. So now I'm going over credit card statements and seeing like trips out of the country he's been on that I was never told about. And I'm like, oh, mm. yeah, it's like so getting so clear. And that same like week was when the detective um, said, yes, I here's all the stuff I found. And so I, I literally like I went and got a divorce attorney, got the best one I could find in my city, which was lucky because about about the next day, when, well, once he was served papers a few days later, he went to the same attorney, but she was taken. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I know, I know. I was just Did like, he deny it. Like, was he like, you're like, or you couldn't, I mean, you had, I didn't even <laughs> challenge him at that point okay. because we challenged all the points in the past. Like why this, yeah. why that, how come this, how come that? And he always had a story for everything that I was just being silly and ridiculous and making things up and hallucinating. And, um, at this point I was like, no, I, I took these boxes of papers to this attorney. I had the locks changed out of my house. Wow. And I flew out of state and had the detective serve him papers because mm. I was scared. Of course. Like I was scared. Um, I knew he could be a mean drunk, but he had only started doing that recently. And I knew he had weapons and I'm like, mm. and it was really fortunate because later he was um, arrested for um, personal assault and taking a woman's oh, phone, phone away and threatening her with a gun, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I was so, so fortunate. And I just, you know, when it came down to my safety, somehow there were still good instincts. You just keep saying my gut, my whole body. Yes. It's like women just feel like they need evidence and maybe you do to like file. But if you are in a situation and you are getting those feelings, you have to listen to your intuition and your you gut have to. feeling and believe You it. have to. Yeah. You have to. And, and things like, it's amazing how much we'll let our significant others get away with and, and buy their excuses. Yeah. So, you know, like for example, and granted he was self-employed and, you know, people were counting on him. And so, but I remember one day, um, in the kitchen, um, before all this came to a head and, um, he was still there in the morning and I don't know what I was doing, cutting an apple or something. Somehow I like really cut my hand really badly. And, um, and I sometimes pass out at the side of my own blood. Oh God. And so like, you know, I lay the knife down, but then I like pass out cold on the kitchen floor. 
And so he like gets a Band-Aid and I wake up and he's like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I think, I don't know. I can't sit up. I'm going to throw up. You know, he's like, well, I really got to go to work. So he puts the phone next to my head and just leaves. <laughs> wow. He gave you a Band-Aid? <laughs> He gave me a mandate. I don't even remember. All I remember like is I wasn't bleeding anymore. Would do. Like a four-year-old well, would be like, that band-aid? I, I don't and know. And I'm like, I know wow. people are counting on you, but there are things called personal emergencies. Jeez. How come I'm always less important than your clients, than your job, than, you know, or, you know, I can't believe I'm telling these stories. I might still get myself in trouble. Anyway. <laughs> or Tell me what you want out <laughs> before it airs. Seriously. Yeah, no, it'll help someone else. Like, that's why I do this. No, but that's the thing. I mean, you know, again, like how much is, how important is your personal safety and your personal being as a human? And in this case, I'm not even talking about physical violence, but kind of physical neglect in the sense of like an instance like that, I was not okay. And I mean, he left and I was crying, like it was horrible. And then when, um, when my had had my bleeding ulcers, I didn't know I had them. I'm going to get no surprise at this point. Um, but one day I just drank my coffee. I was terrible too. I always drink it on empty stomach first thing in the morning and a lot, like 16 ounces, drank my coffee and I started feeling really bad. And then all of a sudden I was still home. I just started throwing up blood like everywhere, like crazy. So when you do that and throw it up blood in the toilet, I saw my own blood. I passed out. Oh no! <laughs> He's gone. So I wake up looking up at the toilet bowl, which many of you may have, but not for that reason. <laughs> and right. Um, you did not like, deserve it this time. <laughs> I'm like, I'm dying. I could be hemorrhaging. Like I have no idea. And, um, he was out of range. I couldn't reach him on a cell phone or anything. And so I called the ambulance. Yeah. And I went and I got my stomach pumped, which was one of the most horrible experiences of my life. Because why would they do that? I don't know. But anyway, anyway, any ultimately diagnosed with what bleeding ulcers and what was going on. And our insurance didn't cover the ambulance. Mm. And I Being never stopped trouble. hearing about that yep. for years. Yep. It cost us $800. Like, that was so stupid. Why didn't you take yourself to the hospital? Da, 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 da. Let me just tell you, too, we weren't like wealthy, but we totally had the money. So to be that petty, you just start, you know, those habits, when someone is not treating you as a sacred human, as a whole person that you are, when you're treated like a nuisance, when you're treated like everything you do is wrong, even when you're trying your hardest, Mm -hmm. the worst it was, I was totally, hopelessly codependent and in love with him. Yeah. I wished I just hated him. If he would have come around, I would have taken him back. Even yeah. after the multi-partners, interstate, multi-life thing. Mm. Not anymore. But at that time, I was so hopelessly dependent and codependent. I would have. I would have. Um, so, yeah, it's really hard to sometimes convince yourself yep. that you're worthy of being safe and healthy and cared and loved. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this. Now back to squats and margaritas. So you end that marriage was becoming an actress in Hollywood, just like the ultimate rebellion against your upbringing. <laughs> That's what's really weird. I had no idea who I was. Yeah. I hadn't finished grad school. I didn't have, I literally don't know how I was going to support myself. Yeah. All I knew is I really wanted to go back to grad school. So I literally left immediately and went back to the West coast, which is where I was home. But I didn't really have like a hometown, my, you know, because like, I had gone to a boarding school and um, I lived at home because my mom was a teacher there, but like nobody stays put, you know? So it's really just, I had one friend in the San Francisco area. And so I just said, well, I guess I'll move there. Yeah. <laughs> the person I know that I can go with, like at least they'll be in the same city. Mm-hmm. And so um, I moved, I went back to grad school. I was really proud of myself. Uh, and I was getting my uh, graduate degree in ancient medieval history. Ooh. <laughs> like what? <laughs> so, um, yeah. So the, I was like, the other side of me is this huge academic nerd. I wanted to teach. I wanted to be a professor at the university level. Um, I wrote, um, an award-winning thesis on medieval women writers, which was really wow. fun. Um, finding what midi- what women were doing to rise above their challenges in the 11, 12, 13, 1400s. Um, people who published, uh, who ever got published during that period or later, uh, they were exceptional women because basically being a woman at all discredited anything you would write. Yep. So we know they weren't men writing under a pen name because oh. no man would have ever 
put it under a woman on his work. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, right. Like fascinating. Right. And, and also women were even the really wealthy women, they were only permitted limited education in medieval times. And they, and it was just so they could write a letter and like make the menus for the house. Basically, wow. those were the two primary things. It was absolutely domestic. You should be able to write a letter and you should be able to like manage your staff and have a list. That was it. You weren't supposed to be reading books. You weren't supposed to be getting educated or learning other languages or anything. So of course I was drawn to people rising above their, you know, circumstances and challenging the, the norm that they grew up in. Um, Wait a minute. Didn't you say you like didn't leave your house for a year? I did. Yeah. So I was so embarrassed as before I moved, I was so humiliated and we were a fairly small community. We were pretty well known and I, I definitely wasn't going to go to my church. I didn't want to see anyone. It was so humiliating. I, I literally also, I really thought that no one would believe me. Yeah. And I was concerned about my court case, um, my lawsuit uh, my for my divorce. I didn't want that to get compromised. I didn't want him to over-prepare his rebuttals and all this stuff. I knew he'd fight it because there was going to be some money involved. Mm -hmm. And I knew that's all he cared about. And that's mm -hmm. another thing. What I just knew when he was like, yeah, we're never going to get divorced, you know. And then one time he said, once he said, no, we're never going to get a divorce. But if we did, if you really wanted to, which I didn't, you yeah. know, you would probably get X this amount of money. And I'm thinking I'd already done my homework. And I was like, you, <laughs> I know that's like a third. Wow. Like you just think I'm so stupid and so ignorant and so gullible that you, like, you don't even take me seriously. You literally think I'm just a moron, but it was really soul crushing. And I'm like, I don't think anyone's going to believe me if I tell them this story, he's really well respected and I don't know. And so, um, yeah, I basically just stayed at home, which is, you know, I don't mind being alone, but I was just totally isolated. It's like lay on the floor, cry your eyes out with your yellow Labrador and then watch TV to make you stop crying until you start crying again. That was pretty much what I did for like a year. Well, what was like the catalyst to bring you out of that year hibernation? Yeah. Two things. So one, um, I just, the second it really made a sense and I could get the resources to do it. I moved Br reminding you, I didn't have resources. They were all mm. controlled and the divorce wasn't final. Mm. So, um, you know, whether it's like the second I could basically move, I did. Mm. Uh, and then the other thing was something a mentor had told me, which was when you're really at the bottom and you're just stuck in your head, um, take action to go help others. Yep. give back, do something to get yourself out of your own head to get the focus off of you. And you'll be really surprised how effective it is. And I'm like, okay, whatever. So I started getting involved with Amnesty International and several other, you know, nonprofits and organizations. And of course, women's issues were really appealing to me. And so I'm, you know, working on causes for women all around the world in horrible situations, like imprisoned, waiting to be stoned to death because they're accused of cheating, which no one can prove in certain oh Middle Eastern God. countries. And I'm like, this is a whole different ball game. This really puts the kind of like into perspective. I'm fed. I have a roof over my head. I, I didn't believe in myself, but I'm like, actually I started to, because I started realizing I was valuable to others by giving back. Yes. So anyone who's in a really low spot, I say, find a way, even if it feels crappy at first to get involved and do something. Cause it's, it restores your own self-confidence to see that you're valuable, that you're useful, that your existence in the world is actually really helping someone else have a better life. Yes. Because otherwise we just go down that dark rabbit hole and they were like, eventually you're just gonna wanna get out. That's it, you're done. You, If you can remember that you're valuable, um, even if it's not to yourself at first, even as like I'm valued because other people are benefiting from how I can help them. Um, it starts to restore your own confidence in yourself. And it really helped so much. It's really people, what pulled me out. People can like draw on what they think is the bad thing in their life right now. Like I struggled with all my eating disorders, but it's mm -hmm. like, I use that now to help other people. Yes. So the thing that is like keeping you down or Absolutely. making you feel like, well, I could never do that. Cause I have all this go help someone else out of it. And it's like, that is when you find value in your life. Like yes. you wake up in the morning, like ready to go and ready to help people. Mm -hmm. And you can even use something that was, you know, a bad quote, bad thing that happened in your life right. to pay it forward. And then you find value from helping the next person out. I love that. Advice. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am a firm believer. And I always teach this, that nothing is wasted unless you choose to waste it. 
So even the way I grew up, even my divorce, all of that, all of the things that I had to do to overcome that, to become resilient, to step out, to step up, to take, do terrifying things to create the change I needed in my life, um, made me stronger, made me wiser, gave me more experience, gave me more empathy, and ultimately even more tools to do the things yeah. I do now. It prepared um, you for what you're doing literally now. nothing. Like, I wouldn't change anything. And partly because you know what? I did the best I could wherever I was. I wouldn't have done it differently because I wouldn't have known how to do it differently yeah. at that time. You know, you You can give people advice, but you have to also remember, you know, you have to, you can only operate with the the knowledge you have at the time. You can only do the best you can do. Now you can seek advice. You can try to get just out of your own head and that's helpful. But yeah, you know, regrets are a waste of energy because I mean, and obsessing, I got so stuck during those depressing years um, in like cyclical thinking like obsessive cyclical thinking it was yep. like, cause I'm, I'm analytical. And so that's literally where I would just get stuck and I would get in the shower and go through like the, all the elements of my divorce. Like, where did I go wrong? What could I have done differently? It must be my fault. And it was so obsessive. Like I couldn't get out of the shower. Cause that shower is that very like what womb, like warm, comfy yeah. place. Um, I literally would be physically petrified where I like, not like I couldn't move in the shower, but like I couldn't even get the willpower to open the door and get out. Wow. Um, fortunately with the water would run out eventually and I would just get cold. And if it wouldn't get cold, I would never get out. Like that's how stuck I was. Yeah. And when you get in your head in that pattern, so you can see how vital it is to get out of your head. Yes. Even if it's just like, okay, for five minutes, start with five minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to think about this for five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, maybe a day work up slowly to just like, I'm going to lay this on the shelf. I can come back to it whenever I want. Um, but for this two minutes, I'm not going to let myself go there. And it's like any muscle, it gets easier over time. But to quickly get back to your answer, your question, when I was in grad school, um, finally getting my degree, um, it was right in the middle of the recession and no one was hiring anyone. It's like PhDs were getting laid off. And I was like, I finally, (laughs) finally finished. I finally reached my dream. And the best deal was I could possibly get three classes, not a salary at a community college and make $12,000 a year. Oh my God. I'm like, okay, that's not going to (laughs) work. So this is funny. So I'm in the halls of the university and I look up at one of the bulletin boards, you know, they always have like in the stairwells and everything. And there was um, a casting call for acting. And my first thought was, and this is why it's funny. I was like, Ooh, maybe I can make some extra money. (laughs) (laughs) Later, you find that you spend way more money working on being an actress than you do making money. Right. Anyway. <laughs> but it got your so, attention. <laughs> got my attention. And it was an interesting play. Granted, I'm studying ancient history, too. And it was for Lysistrata, which is a famous Greek, ancient Greek play about powerful women. So I was like, OK, I'll go just check this out. So I'm like, what the hey? So I um I got some of the, I got the sides and I went to the audition and now granted, this was for a very, very small private production. It wasn't like a huge university production. It was kind of a side show, but, um, I auditioned and they cast me as the lead Amazing. as this Estrada, who's the activist <laughs> woman in the play. And I was like, <laughs> what? Now, can I just tell you that in ancient Greek, any of you are into theater, you know, I had not even been in a commercial. I hadn't been in any, any modern acting at all. And um, it's basically, it's translated obviously into English, but it comes off almost Shakespearean. The words are very difficult and rough and nothing like how we talk now. Yeah. It's very awkward. And it was like 80 pages long. And I'm like, oh, freaking out. Um, but you know that it was a small production and you know, it was what it was, but it was such an eye opener. And that's what really got me thinking, wow, I forgot how much I love being creative. Yes. And I've always wanted to be creative and write and imagine. Remember the imagination in my childhood? Like I would just go crazy in my imagination because I had nothing else to do. So like I was writing, you know, I wasn't allowed to read fiction, but I was writing fiction as a kid because <laughs> I was like, my imagination was like, I'm going to do something. Yeah. So that was how that chain of events was like, well, okay. In the timing too, when you're like, don't think yeah. about it, don't think about it. You're laying on the floor. This dropped an 80 page script. Like it gave you something to think about and get you something out of to that do. mess. Yes. Yeah. Something to absolutely do 
and um and yeah opened the door and so eventually i ended up in la and um you know it was crazy it was one of the crazy best times of my life because you know if you do the math it's statistically almost impossible to succeed in hollywood um especially if you didn't start when you're like 10. <laughs> so, but again, nothing wasted. And even yeah. though that's not the primary focus, I mean, I do still do some acting. It's not my primary focus because I realized that my stage was really going to be more, less of a screen stage and more of the world stage. Yes. Like I'm like, what I'm passionate about, I love story. I love history. I love people. I love creating impact. I love helping men and women everywhere find that they can step into their power and also make a difference in the world around them. And I'm like, this is where my stage is really meant to be, which is um, actively making a difference. If I can help other people make a difference, I want to create an exponential impact. I want to teach social entrepreneurs how to be really good social entrepreneurs and have a viable business and a sustainable humanitarian or environmental program. And by doing that, I'm doing the same thing. I'm creating this change in the world on a global conversation, a global level. Um, yes. You know, I can't wait to teach this in other countries and to different in different environments and in developing in developing nations. Like this is something that. Like this, I could do for the rest of forever and just have that joy, you know, when yes. you finally find that joy. But I also tell people be encouraged because this is the most non-linear career you've ever heard of. I've been a realtor, <laughs> I've, you name it. I've been a tour guide in Europe. You want anything else? I mean, seriously, I've had the most bizarre career yes. of your life. <laughs> but look at what you're doing now and the impact you have now. I wanted to get into yes. a couple of those things. As you're talking, I'm like, she's a perfect mix of like motivation and spirituality. Talk about meta mindset. Oh, thank you so much. So, so yeah, the meta mindset is basically bringing what some people might call the spiritual element mm -hmm. into your personal and business life. So even if you're not a religious person, how do you connect to your, some people would say your higher self, some people would say this divine, other would people would say your subconscious, your deepest instincts, your gut intuition, whatever that is for you, how do you connect to that so that you can live and produce in flow instead of doing everything the hard way. Cause I'm, I'm firstborn, I'm Capricorn, I'm type A, you name it, I'm that. Uh -huh. So push, 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 sheer willpower came from New England born parents, sheer willpower can you get you anywhere you wanna go. Well, I've learned like in Hollywood, sheer willpower, time, money, and effort cannot always get you everywhere you wanna go. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge because a lot of people are teaching their kids, you can be absolutely anything you want. Well, yes and no. So let's put a little bit of reality on there so these kids don't get devastated when they find out that there's actually like mathematical, yes. <laughs> you know, like what is the numbers game here? What are the actual chances? If you still are okay with those chances yeah. and you totally realize you're awesome either way, then go for it, but don't go in knowing that you're a high performing individual and that 99 of a hundred of your type were still doomed to failure just because of the numbers. Yep. So you have to go in with an attitude of understanding, you know, it's really hard when you're a control freak. I'm a recovering control freak. <laughs> it's really hard to let go of thinking if I do a and B it equals C. Yep. And it takes a meta go beyond, go above, go, go beyond anything you've the way you've done things before the way everyone says you have to do things in a certain order and tap into your higher self into flow into the divine into the universe because you can get into a state of flow where those good things are really coming to you and i'm not even specifically not against it not for it talking about manifesting and saying your affirmations every morning. i'm not even talking about that i'm talking about an attitude of listening to your deeper self um i tell people and they're like, well, how in the heck do I do that? Because yeah, I want things to come more easily. Well, okay, real fast, 30 seconds. I'll give you one of my secrets that I call that I teach my clients. It's called the triple bypass. More squats and margaritas in a moment. Now this, now back to squats and margaritas. You really want to tap in, you got to bypass the mind because that will mess you up every time. You will logically come up with so many excuses and reasons that you shouldn't do what Ever it is, you gotta get, you gotta let it go because it will argue with you forever. Believe me, I know. <laughs> Second bypass, you gotta do the heart. Well, that's kind of weird because I'm like a real heart person, totally. So, yes, but 
my ex-marriage, for example, your heart can really steer you wrong to your own demise. You can, I could have made it out so much sooner and done so much more. Do I regret it? No, but I was stuck here. I was stuck at heart and I was in here and I couldn't, I was petrified in that space. Last but not least, the triple bypass, you got to bypass your ego. Oh my God. And that's the hardest one of all, (laughs) because that will just throw you around and make you do things that aren't even to your best interest because it's, it's just stuck in ego. You get past all that. What do you have left? You have your gut. You have, you know, I hold my stomach, but like whatever that is in you, that deepest gut instinct, if you do that triple bypass and then ask yourself the questions, you will get the answers and you will know, and it can be exciting and it can be terrifying. But if you have the courage to do it, you'll be really surprised. It means basically you just get her, even if you don't do readings, you get a reading from yourself mm-hmm. and you're like, I know that's true. It's clear. It's like I know I need to leave this relationship. It's so obvious. I know, right? Yes. Like most people don't even really want to know. You just want to look like you're going through these motions of being busy and like being a victim. Girl. Being a squirrel, you talk about this. You're like, squirrels are busy doing nothing. Like, are you just being a squirrel or are you like living like at a fulfilled? Yes. Are you taking it to the next level? So that's a meta mindset is how do you connect to that in your life and business and, and in your, and in your giving back as a social entrepreneur, as a humanitarian, whatever it is you're doing, everything does not have to be as hard as you've been told it has to be. But a lot of people are like, you know, the scientific minds really struggle. The mathematical minds really struggle. I'm like, okay, we'll just do a thought. Just do a social experiment. Mm-hmm. Try it for a day, a week, a month. Just try it. Oh, I can't really wait. do it. Commit to it. And then I'd love to hear your response. And if it didn't work, I'm also happy to hear your response. But I also absolutely know people that I work with that it's absolutely working. I can't. I'm going to do it as soon as we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to end it with like what your Global Impact League is exactly what I need in my life. And I'm sure other people, you have this idea, you want to help people. Mm-hmm. I started a foundation for teen girls mm-hmm. struggling with uh, self-worth and body image. Mm-hmm. I see it. I know what it, yeah. I want it to be, yep. but I have zero strategy. Uh, talk about Global Impact League. <laughs> This is so the right place. Oh my gosh. So yes. I know. <laughs> so, so the Global Impact League is uh, it's a coming together of social entrepreneurs. You don't have to be one. You can have another interest or want to be a nonprofit, but specifically and especially for social entrepreneurs who want to create a movement, a program, it could literally be something small after school in your own hometown. It can literally be helping finance women entrepreneurs in developing countries. It can be as big or small as you want. And we get together. It's a network. It's a community. I coach and teach group classes, masterminds, coaching, where we literally hammer it out and it's strategic. We, we reverse engineer it and we run it like a business. We're not just waiting for handouts. We're not fighting with nonprofits for dollars from government and other places. You're going to run this like a smart business and you're going to benefit too. You can, you don't have to, if you don't want to, but you can make money. You can just reinvest that money that you make back into your, into your cause if that's what works. But if, if you need it for some supplemental income or your main income eventually, then that's absolutely a thing. So I bring in guests from the social entrepreneurship world who teach us, who've gone before, who know exactly like illustrations and different kinds of causes that they're building. And then and one of the best things is you just get this incredible global community of people who are doing like things. So just imagine if someone's doing your project and yet, even though it's a completely different organization, a completely different process, there's mm-hmm. someone somewhere else in the world who's doing the same or very similar thing. Yep. Why would you want to reinvent the wheel? Right. We want to connect you with other people and you to them so we can all empower each other because that's how I really see change. It's holding hands, empowering each other, wanting each other to succeed, finding people in very similar niches so you can get benefit exponentially as you're developing your program and not have to reinvent the wheel. So that's it in a nutshell. Oh it is gosh. so much fun. And obviously I'll talk I, to you about it because it's a blast. How do I get into that? Or if anybody's listening, yes. I have an idea, okay. but like, I just don't know. Yes. To... Okay. Sure. So um, I have my, um, my intro um, program up on the website right now, which is uh, you can just go to annscotland.com or Global Impact league.com it's right there and um, there's a hidden page right now that should be open by tomorrow which is the bigger program and um so i will send you that but if you want to just reach out to me directly you can email me from the website or just contact at anscotland.com because i'm going to be starting a new cohort in june and we're going to be 
Oh, it's so excited. And I'm so excited about some of the people who are going to be in here. So yes. So I will definitely get you those details. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, you would, you would love it. It would be such a great, I just, and you know, and you get the, yes. And then you get exposure for your cause. And I'm actually starting a new podcast in June. I'm switching gears and it's literally going to be a podcast on social entrepreneurs and global impact specifically. I'm going to help promote the people that are in it by getting them on the podcast and creating more exposure for what they're creating as well as bringing on experts in the field who have really done it big time. So it's going to be just a really amazing community experience. So um, let me know how I can get you going and help support you. It's, it's literally my joy. <laughs> I know. And speaking of joy, your book live for joy is available on Amazon. Yes. What else? I see you got a new podcast coming out now. Um, yes. you've got meta mindset and global impact league. You can get information at anscotland.com. Yes. You know, I've been doing all like several things for several years, and now I'm really going to focus on the global impact league, bringing the meta mindset into it. Um, during COVID, I did a lot around spirit, uh, emotional wellness. And then I did some on spiritual wellness. Like I just get so distracted because I have so much fun. So I'm really focusing, but the book live for joy is a personal development book for motivation and inspiration when you don't have time to read a whole chapter of something or you don't do maybe you know you don't have time to do a spiritual reading whatever that is it's for moms 12 chapters <laughs> it's for everybody okay. yes and it's i call it an experience i'm like a full experienced hands-on kind of person so if you can get the printed version it's really better because it's i mean full color illustrations throughout that actually compliment and this is all original content by me this was a lot of this started in my twitter feed and people just started begging me for a book and so um because i have a little bit of a philosopher in there so um this one says your roots may feed you and help you grow but left unchecked they can also hold you back Ooh, like childhood trauma stuff i like that a lot so the whole book is like that. There's 12 chapters. So you can like some, a lot of people keep this on like their bedside table, their desk, their coffee table. You can just put, put your finger in and pick something or you can pick a theme. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's my team. I was going to say, we should end it with, if you have a favorite one or something that you think would. Yes. Reach. Okay. I will. I will. Then. Okay. okay. So I'll tell you, first of all, one of my favorite chapters is be a benevolent world citizen because this isn't just a book about joy. The joy is in there and there's a chapter on joy, but it's about how being your whole self and finding your joy is giving back, which is exactly what we've been talking about nice. doing. So how do you be a benevolent world citizen and how important that is? Uh, and of course, you've got something that's like encourage yourself, listen to your inner genius, which is my polite way of saying, listen to your gut, your angels, whatever that is for you. Yes. And then my one of my favorite chapters is the last chapter, chapter 12, it's called learn to love the endings because so often we think that the end of a job, the end of a relationship, the end of perfect health is somehow like it's all over. And from my story, you realize like, I know what I'm talking about when I talk about that. <laughs> I've had so many weird endings in my life, um, but it doesn't have to be. It's really the beginning of a new chapter. So this is one of it's one of my shortest um, little quotes here that I've written, but one of my very favorites. So it says, gratitude and joy are ageless, even as time goes by. Oh my gosh, I love gratitude it. Gratitude and joy are ageless, even as time goes by. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.